We are in the middle of our Dare to Dream series, and by the middle, I mean the beginning. This is only our second one. Um, And uh, how many of you guys were here last Sunday for Celebration Sunday? Raise your hand. Was that awesome? It was awesome. We celebrated three years. Thank you. Uh, We celebrated three years of God transforming lives in this very auditorium, uh, and we are just so grateful for what God is doing, uh, what he's done in the past three years, and what he's doing right now, and what he has planned for us in the future. I'm excited, man. Uh, Before we jump into this sermon, Claude Bennett, would you come up and pray for us? Uh, Claude and Debbie are our prayer team leaders. Debbie, as you know, last week we prayed for her. Um, and she is on the mend. She is firing off emails and text messages. So that's all good news, right? <laughs> yes, she's doing all of that and some more. Uh, wrote me a long to-do list. But uh, thank you so much for your prayer. She's doing great and, and recovering well. Um, but I do have a story. So I was leaving the hospital and Deb was talking about how healthy we would be eating and so on and so forth. So don't tell her. She's not here. On the way home, I stopped by McDonald's and got one of those dip cones. Man, that thing was good. <laughs> Let's lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy and your love and kindness towards us. We thank you for hearts today that are pliable and receptive to your word. Bring increase in our lives that we might glorify you in all that we say and in all that we do. Bless the pastor in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, last Sunday was our celebration Sunday. And sometimes if you come and you're visiting or if you've even been here for a while, you may not know all that goes on behind the scenes. Um, you know, you, you see the pastor up here and the musicians and different people, but there are like uh, over a hundred people on our dream team who are volunteering and serving every month. They're either serving one Sunday a month or two Sundays a month, sometimes more, uh, to make all of that happen. And I just want to say a very deep felt and personal and heartfelt thank you to every single member of our dream team who make this happen behind the scenes. I want to tell you just the name, the names of our dream team leaders, because these guys don't get recognized enough. Uh, and I'm just going to tell you their names and, and, and hopefully you can see them after church and clap them on the back and thank them for their work. Kirk Williams is the head of our finance team. Fred Lang is our sound team leader. Before him was Sean Antkoviak. Rebecca Rome, she's my favorite dream team member. She's the head of our music team. I just like her the most. I, I, I can't help it. Uh, Jason Fry, head of our missions team. Karen Fry, children's uh, ministry and also administrator. Um, and she's not in here right now, but all of the like balloons and the muffins and the snow cones and all that stuff that was happening uh, last week, that was all Karen Fry. So great work by her. Uh, Ryan Dieter starting our wellness team. Deanna Atkinson check in. Justin Linsenmeyer is our setup team leader. And before him was Garrett Clough. And before him was Chris Moritz. Those guys are like the hardest working guys at the church. They're coming, setting things up, breaking them down after service. Uh, unsung heroes. Uh, Carol Cloud, our UC friends. Mother Ray is our baptism team leader. Claude and Debbie, prayer team. Verl and Darlene Klein's growth track. Shante Smith, greeting. Drea Spencer, hospitality. Don Moses on visual production. Formerly Michelle Sarek. Both of those guys have done an amazing job. Let's hear it for our dream team leaders just one time. All right. 
So we are continuing now in this series, Dare to Dream, and we're going to be talking today about decisions and about how some decisions can take you further down the path of the dream that God has for you, and some decisions can take you further away from the dream that God has for you. Uh, Columbia University conducted a survey a few years ago, and they found that the average American makes approximately 70 conscious decisions per day. Not the involuntary, just like, you know, snap decisions, but conscious decisions, about 70 per day. Uh, Am I going to turn left or am I going to turn right, right? Am I going to eat that or am I going to eat this? Um, 25,550 conscious decisions per year. Over 70 years, that's about 1.8 million decisions. You put those decisions all together, you get a pretty good snapshot of somebody's life. You get to see what a life looks like by the decisions made by that person who's living that life. Albert Camus famously said that life is the sum of your choices. Life is the sum of your choices. Jean-Paul Sartre said, we are our choices. The decisions that we make determine the path that we take. In many respects, the life that you and I are living right now is a reflection of the decisions that we made earlier, a year ago, five years ago, 10, 15 years ago. And the life that we're going to have in 5, 10, 15 years is going to be a reflection of the decisions that we're making right now. And that's sort of a sobering truth, right? Because we have so many decisions to make all the time. Should, where do we go to school? Should we go to college? Which college? Should we go on to graduate school, right? Should we get married? Who should we marry? What kind of career path should we take? How should we treat our spouse? What do we do about that friendship? What about that child who is struggling? How do we interact with that? How do we raise that kid? We're facing these decisions all the time. And, you know, sometimes we're, we're, we're worried because what if we make a bad choice? What if we make a wrong decision? What if we take the wrong choice? And there are television shows that are entirely dedicated to people who make bad decisions. Mari Povich. Anybody ever seen Mari Povich? Jerry Springer. These guys make us actually feel better about our lives because we go, wow, I've made some bad decisions, but I am not on Mari Povich right now. Um, I found a couple of pictures this week while I was studying this. I thought you might enjoy. Um, there's a guy that I saw a picture of. He made some bad decisions, but he owns it. Look at that. He says, clearly, I have made some bad decisions, including the one to get that tattooed on his back, no doubt. Um, sometimes you're not sure how bad the decision is, like to what degree, how do I gauge it? This is a funny little picture. It says, on a scale of one to Lindsay Lohan, how bad was that decision you just made? I thought that was way funnier than you guys thought that was. Like I was laughing hard. Um, We're going to explore a story today about a, a Bible character who made a really, really bad decision. He made a bad call, and it led him down a path that was ultimately destructive for him. Um, it's from Genesis 25, and the, the, the overall picture is the story of twin boys who were born to a couple named Isaac and Rebekah. They're Jacob and Esau. And I'm just going to read you the passage now, and then we'll go back and we'll sort of unpack it piece by piece, all right? It says, When the time came for her, Rebekah, to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was hairy like a hairy garment. Okay, so that, starting off, we're, we're looking at this scripture going, okay, this is a very awkward scripture, right? I mean, I don't know 
you know, some of you have had kids. I don't know if any of you have had kids that you would describe as he came out red and hairy like a hairy garment. I get a picture of a gremlin in my mind and go, okay. Um, so we're, we're already starting off in a very interesting place. So, so they named him Esau. Esau means rough and hairy. Um, unfortunate beginning. Okay, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. The Hebrew word Jacob is derived from the root of the word heel in Hebrew, and it also means to circumvent or deceive or overreach um, or sort of manipulate. Uh, And so his name was Jacob. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, the dad, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. So dad loved the older son. But Rebecca, the mom, loved the younger son. She loved the one that liked to hang around the tents. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country and he was famished. So he said to his brother Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright for this bowl of stew. Sell me your birthright. But Jacob said, uh, uh, Esau said, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He gave him some, some beans, a pot of beans. And he ate and drank. And then he got up and left. So Esau despised, or he spurned, or he recklessly forfeited his birthright. It's a very, very bad decision. This was a bad call. Turn to your neighbor and say, that was a bad call. It's a bad call, right? He sold his birthright. What's his birthright? So under Hebrew uh, custom and law, the birthright is that when, when a person possesses the birthright, that means when their father dies, They become the CEO of the family. They take on the leadership of the family. And sometimes these families were large families. There were clans coming together. There was a great deal of wealth, especially in this family. Isaac was a very, very wealthy man. So his son Esau would have taken all of the ownership of the family and made all of the family decisions and determined where the family was going. And he also would receive double the inheritance of his brother. That's part of what it means to have a birthright. Under Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy, it says that the oldest son will receive twice that of the younger son. So this is all of the stuff that he was about to inherit, but he traded it away for a pot of beans. Bad call. Bad call. Um, And you also have to remember, an inheritance only transfers when the person who owns the property that's going to transfer dies, right? Somebody has to die for that property to be passed down to the person, to the beneficiary, to the heir. Somebody's got to die. So what we're seeing in this story is a man with an incredibly powerful, wealthy, and abundant future for his life which he recklessly, in a moment of hunger, trades away for an inconsequential pot of beans. 
So we're going to break this story down, and I'm going to give you a few points to ponder along the way. And I'm going to give you the points right up at the front. So get out a pen. You can write these down because I know you will not remember these. You guys remember my story. You never remember my points. I even tried to, I tried to remember the sermon that I preached last week, and it took me a while just to remember the title of it. So write these, write these down. Um, and the three points to ponder in this story, and we're going to come through them now, is the first one is hunger plus haste equals distorted decisions. Hunger plus haste equals distorted decisions. And I'm going to give you the other two, but we, don't have, we won't have them up on the screen until we get there. Uh, number two is consider the voices that inform your choices. Consider the voices that inform your choices. Took me a long time to come up with that, all right? Uh, and then point number three is birthright or beans. Birthright or beans. Got all that? Everybody good? Are you tracking with me so far? You got this story, right? Everybody's good. All right. Um, let me ask you this. Anybody ever tried to lose some weight? Anybody ever tried to lose weight? Anybody? Only two people? Three? Okay. Anybody need to repent from lying right now? Repent from lying? Um, the thing about losing weight is at the beginning of the day, it seems like it's going to be easy. You get up, you make some coffee, you maybe cut up a little cantaloupe, get a little bit of yogurt, right? Maybe just a little touch of cereal, and you, th- you leave the house, you've eaten just a little bit, and you think, wow, this is going to be easy. The pounds are just going to fall off of me, right? You get to work, the noon hour starts to come, your stomach's growling a little bit, and suddenly you start thinking, you know, Losing weight, it's important to have protein in your diet. Hamburgers have protein, and actually cheeseburgers have more protein than hamburgers, and cheeseburgers with bacon actually have more protein than just cheeseburgers. Double cheeseburgers with double bacon actually have double the protein. I think I'm going to go get some protein this afternoon, but, but let's, say that, let's say that those thoughts are going through your mind, but you have stopped them somehow. You've just thwarted them. You go down to the salad bar. You get a few pieces of lettuce, throw a little spinach on there, get a little bit of those red onions, some raisins, a couple sunflower seeds, right, some cucumbers. If it's a really neat salad bar, there's some chickpeas. You get a little chickpea in there or edamame if you're like at a real high-class joint. Look, you edamame in there, some light Italian. You eat that little salad, and you think, wow, that was really good. I did a great job on that. You go back to the office. Two o'clock comes around. Three o'clock comes around. Four o'clock comes around. Your body is speaking to you. It's not like it was at breakfast when you had your cantaloupe and your yogurt. Things are starting to happen in your mind. Things are starting to happen. Things are, things are warming up now, and you get in your car. You start driving home. You drive by that white castle, and like the white castle is saying, Rome. Come over here. I've got something for you that you need right now, right? It's like as you get hungry and you don't have time to go home and make yourself, hun- uh, you know, anything. So hunger plus haste equals distorted decisions. You start thinking, gosh, it really would be good for me to go get those little chick burgers at, 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 at uh, White Castle. It would really be good for me to go do that. And Watch what's happening. I have to admit, this, this happened to me yesterday, actually. Our, 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 um, our team, our, our church went and sponsored Operation Food Search. Um, we did a spiking the hunger volleyball game, and I had coffee that morning, and I didn't. <laughs> did we get an applause for that? One, one, one applause. Um, and and we, we go there, and I hadn't had breakfast, 
And, you know, and, and I try to watch what I eat, you know, try to keep my cholesterol down. And, but I hadn't eaten, and we got a couple games, and we, we lost those games. Um, really close, though, you know, by like 14 points. I mean, pretty close. Um, and, and then I saw somebody walking in with these trays, these trays of food. Turns out to be Pappy's pulled pork. <laughs> that was like the best response we've gotten this morning. This is just like, mm, mm, Yeah, so I made some bad decisions yesterday. Bad decisions. Um, Genesis 25, it, so at 29, it says, Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country. He's famished. He says to Jacob, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. And then here's what I want you to focus on. Look what Esau said. He said, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? He was hungry, and he was in haste, and so his decisions got distorted. He wasn't really about to die. His mind said, I'm about to die. His emotions may have said, I'm about to die, but he wasn't really about to die. He said, what good is the birthright to me as if it was just a trinket to throw away? Well, it's your whole future. That's what it is. It's everything. It's your future. It's your family's future. It's your kid's future. It's their kid's future. His mind got distorted. His emotions got distorted. His thinking got distorted because of his hunger and his haste. Sometimes in our lives, when we become spiritually depleted, when we become spiritually famished, when we stop taking time to read God's word and pray and spend time in prayer and spend time with other people of God who will encourage and strengthen us, our thinking can start to get distorted and the little trinkets of the world and the little trinkets of temptation start to take on an extra shine and an extra sparkle for us and they seem to be the kinds of things that we want to fill our lives with even though we know if we were thinking straight that it's not good for us. Somebody with me? Can you hear? Are you with me? You get mad and suddenly you just yell at your kids for no reason. You get jealous and you start gossiping about other people. You get lonely and your eyes begin to wander to places that they shouldn't go. You get worn down and you start to take ethical shortcuts at work. You get weak and then you start taking offense at, at, at you know, anything that somebody says to you, you get drained and you start getting cynical and jaded about life, right? This happens to us when we get spiritually depleted, when we get hungry and we get in a hurry and we're not taking time to nourish ourselves on God and his word and the people of God. This is what happens to us. And here's, here's the next step that, he, that is even worse because when this happens to us, the tendency then is to not go to the person who can really help and nourish us with what we really need, our tendency is, as in this case, to go to somebody who has what we think we want right now. Who do you consult with when you're tired and you're hungry and you're in this time of spiritual depletion? Look at what Esau did. This was, this was a crucial mistake. He goes to his brother Jacob. The guy who wanted what he had. The guy who was holding on to his heel. And look what Jacob said. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I'm about to die. What good is it to me? And Jacob said, swear to me. Swear to me first. I want to make this transaction. Esau, Jacob was the worst 
possible person that Esau could have gone to in this situation. Consider the voices that inform your choices. Of all of the people that if Esau had gone, oh, you want me to trade my birthright for a can of beans? Let me go talk to dad about that. Let me just go just get his input on that, and then I'll come back to you and I'll decide. But no, he went to the usurper, the deceiver, the one who wanted what he had, and that's who he consulted in his time of need. We see this. I see this all the time. Somebody who is struggling in their marriage will go to not somebody who's got a good marriage. They'll go to somebody else who's struggling in their marriage. And they'll sit there and they'll listen to the advice of somebody who's not going to give them the good advice. I have some friends that I grew up with here in St. Louis that, that, uh, that struggle with, with alcoholism, too much drinking. Uh, and instead of going to somebody who has either walked down that path and is on the road to recovery or even to somebody who doesn't have a, a problem with that, they'll go down to a bar and they'll sit there with somebody else who's got a desperate problem with alcohol and the two of them will justify one another and make each other feel better and then come stumbling out of the bar and they get further and further and further down the path that's not good for them because they're not thinking about, they're not aware of who they are talking to when they're in this time of hunger and haste. What we learn about Esau in this moment is that even though he was grown up, even though the scripture says he was a skillful hunter, he had a good career, he had developed himself in this, in this particular area, his character had not matured. He was still a foolish, reckless child in this area. He had developed his career, but not his character. Age does not mean sage. Getting older does not necessarily make you wiser, right? And, 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 and so we see that as he's, as he's walking down this path, he may have developed this great skill. His dad loved this skill, and he had developed this skill, but he had not developed the internal fortitude, the internal character that is necessary to not make these foolish decisions. There's a pastor in Charlotte who preached on this passage, a guy named Stephen Furtick, and he preached a, a sermon on this. And I like, like what he said about Esau. He said, Esau was good at bringing home food, but he wasn't good at controlling his appetite. Sometimes in our lives, we are good at what we do. And so external appearances are just looking great and people are proud of us and people like what we do. But internally, we have not developed that character, that integrity that we need to do to really follow the path that God wants us to follow down. To follow down. If the decisions that you're making in life are not leading you to where you know that God wants you to be, then consider the process by which you make those decisions. Consider that process. When I was a, a teenager... I was an impulsive decision maker, and that worked for me at 18. People liked that, right? I was like just off the cuff, spontaneous. It was fun. It was fun to be around me at 18 because, you know, who knows what's going to happen, right? But that decision-making process, you take that and you stick with that when you're 25 and 28 and 30. That's not a good process at that stage of life. It's really not a process, good process. We just, we just got lucky at 18 by the, by the hand of God. Nothing terrible happened. But, you know, you start getting further up the road and you're still using that process to make decisions. That's not going to work for you. That's going to take you down some paths that you don't want to be down, right? And so I, there was a point in my life where I, I literally stopped and I said, 
The decisions, the, the life that I have right now is not the life that I want. I'm lonely. I'm angry. I'm frustrated with my life. I'm not tracking with what I believe God has called me to do. If there is a God is the way I felt at that point. I, wanted, I need to change something. And so I've, I've made a change in my decision-making process. I called a group of men, and I've talked to you about this before. I called a group of men that I admired something about their life. I didn't necessarily want to be just like them. They weren't like the end-all, be-all for me. But they had some things in their life that I admired and respected. And I called them up, and I said, listen, I need you to be my board of directors for my life so that when I'm about to make big decisions, I'm going to call you, and I'm going to have you give me your advice. I'm not telling you I'm going to follow your advice, but I'm telling you I want to hear your input. And I, and I established that. That's my upstream. Those are the people that I talk to whenever I have big decisions. I made that decision over 10 years ago. And those people are still in place for me. And my decision-making process got significantly better as a result of listening to other people who had things in their life that were situated in such a way that I respected and admired them. I haven't always followed every decision that they made or every piece of advice. But I want to encourage you, get some people in your life that you can reach out to when you need to make the hard call. Don't default to the person who has what you think that you need because that person may not have your best interest in mind and they may not be the right person to talk to about that issue. You feel me? All right. The second thing I started doing, I became a Christian. I started talking to God about decisions. James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all who ask without finding fault. God's not going to necessarily tell you, turn left here, go choose this career, marry that person, don't marry that person. But what God will do is give you wisdom and discretion to help you start making those hard choices for yourself. That's what a good parent does, right? I don't want, I have some of the decisions I want to dictate for my children, like don't come up on the platform when daddy's making an announcement. That would, I will dictate that. But when my kids get older, I don't want to be the dad that tells them, do this, do that. You've got to do this and do it my way. I don't want to be that because then they've never developed, right? That's the way God is. He's not going to dictate your life step by step. He's going to hopefully give you the wisdom and the discretion and the strength through his word and through prayer for you to make the calls that are right for your life with good counsel and godly advice, all right? It's just like practical stuff right now. Um, and then number three was started reading God's word. Uh, Second Timothy says all scriptures breathed out by God is profitable for teaching reproof correction and training in righteousness reading God's word you can you can you can do away with a lot of decisions right you know right from the get-go should I have you know should I should I cheat on my taxes right should I have an affair right all these decisions those can be made for you <laughs> you don't have to make those decisions those can be made for you by God's word so you're not struggling with those kinds of decisions so those were three sort of changes that I developed in my life. Doesn't mean I'm a perfect decision maker. I'm not a perfect decider, but I can guarantee you that my life is a lot further down the road than it was when I was making decisions based upon my own impulses, my own distorted emotions, my own instincts. Got You got it? All right. <laughs> Man, it's quiet out there. It's quiet out there today. Um, so then Esau did what he did. He made the bad call. Genesis 25, 33 says, so he swore an oath. Esau swore the oath to, to Jacob, selling him his birthright. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, some bean soup. Esau ate it and drank it and then got up 
and left. So Esau despised his birthright. I find that to be tragic. It's a tragic moment in, the, in this story. This guy, in this moment of hunger, in this moment of distorted and exaggerated emotions, traded away his birthright for a bowl of beans, for a can of beans. He gave it all away. We all face those decisions. Before we come down on Esau and say, what an idiot, what a fool, what a moron. Think about all of the decisions that you and I make every day where we're trading away a piece of our birthright for some trinket, some immediate piece of pleasure, and we're giving away something that's eternal and powerful and important. We grab at the immediate, at the expense of the eternal. We barter away our birthright for a can of beans. Birthright or beans? This is the question that we have to ask ourselves when we're making decisions throughout the day and throughout the week. Now, you may say, look, you know, I'm tracking with the story. Very interesting. Jacob and Esau, gremlin guy, got all that. Very cool. But what are you talking about birthright? I don't have a birthright. Every believer, every person who follows Christ has a birthright has an inheritance, has an inter- eternal inheritance. If you look at 1 Peter, and there are multiple scriptures, this is just one that captures it well. First uh, Peter 1, 3 through 5 says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into what? Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. Whether you know it or not, you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance of love, an inheritance of peace, an inheritance of joy. All of the earthly and heavenly blessings of God are yours through your inheritance that you received when you became a believer. And yet we sometimes are willing to trade that for a can of beans. I got up. I got this can of beans right here from Aldi's. Aldi's has good cans of beans. It's like, this was like, like about a dollar, babe. And these are lentil beans. This is what Esau ate right here. This is what Esau got in exchange for, this is, this is what he got in exchange for giving away his birthright. A can of beans. God is saying, I have an inheritance of love for you, real love. Real love, love that's stronger than death, love that will transform your life. So don't trade it for just a can of immediate gratification, immediate satisfaction, because there's something greater for you than a can of beans. God's saying, I've got peace for you, peace like a river, peace that passes all understanding. That's part of your spiritual inheritance. Don't trade that away for just cynicism, a can of cynicism, a can of ingratitude. He's saying, I've got real joy for you. Real joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That's your inheritance. Don't give that away for just a can of bitterness. You're hungry, and so you crack open that can of bitterness, and you just eat that instead of enjoying the inheritance of God's joy that he has for you. When we chase after 
the things that don't take us down the path of God's dream for our life. We're trading our birthright for beans. Bad call. Bad call. Now, some of you are sitting here going, you know what? I have heard sermons like this all my life. Sermons where, you know, the preacher gets up and says, God's got all these great things for you, and you're throwing it all away. Don't do that. And it's like a cautionary tale and a morality tale, and you walk out of there feeling like totally freaked out and oppressed, and you're going, gosh, I've already traded all that away. I've already done all that. I've already done all that. So I'm Esau. I've given it all away. So this really isn't helpful to me, and I'm likely to do it again. And so I don't, you know, it's nice for you to come up here with all these platitudes and all this morality stuff, right? And so you're sitting there going, what's the hope for somebody like me, right? Well, this is fascinating, and this is brilliant about the Bible, because a few decades, a few centuries, actually, after the story of Jacob and Esau, another story was told about another set of boys who shared an inheritance. And in that story, one of the boys said, Dad, I want my inheritance now. And he took his inheritance and he went to a faraway country and just like Esau was willing to throw his inheritance away, this young man was willing to throw his inheritance away also. And he splurged on prostitutes and fun living and excitement and pleasure, and he threw it all away. And people gathered around him, and it was really great, but he tossed it all away. Every dime he had, his entire inheritance, he threw it away, just like Esau, right? These stories are parallel. And it got to a point where he was so broke and so tired and so hungry that he said, you know what, I'm going to go work for this pig farmer and I'm going to eat the slop out of the, out of the pig sty because I'm so hungry and I've tossed away every dollar I have. This is a good Jewish boy that's not supposed to be around swine and he's now eating out of the trough of pigs. This is how low he got. And the scripture says that at, at, at a certain point it was like it was like he came to his senses like the scales came off and he said listen i'm gonna i don't know what's gonna happen but i'm gonna go back to my dad i'm not gonna be able to get my inheritance back of course i've just blown it all but i'm gonna go back to my dad and see if he'll let me just work as one of his servants i'll be a slave for him because even those guys were are treated better than me digging around in the muck right and we know what happens. He comes home. His dad sees him from a far way off. And he doesn't go, hey, sorry, sorry, bud. You spurned your inheritance. You threw it away. You tossed it. You're going to have to live with the consequences of that. It's not what he says. The dad rushes off the porch, rushes down the road, throws his arm around his son, kisses his son, puts his robe around him, takes his ring off, puts it on his finger, and says, let's kill the fatted calf. We're going to party. This boy who was dead is now alive. We're going to celebrate. That which was lost is now found. So you've got to ask yourself, okay, here's the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau throws away his birthright, and he doesn't get it back. You've got this other story of another guy who throws his birthright away, throws his inheritance away, but he gets everything back. How, what's the difference between these two stories, right? 
To know and understand the difference between the two stories, you've got to understand the identity of the person who is telling the second story. Because the person who is telling the second story is also a firstborn son. He's the firstborn of creation. He's got an inheritance that's all due and owing him. He knows about inheritance. Colossians 1.15, listen to this. The son, Jesus, is the one who told the story of the prodigal son. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For listen to this, in him, all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. You see, Jesus is the one that has the inheritance coming to him. Everything in heaven and earth is for him. It was made through him, and it is for him. And Jesus made what you might call a bad trade. 2,000 years ago, he said, here's what I'm going to do. And it wasn't because he was hungry, and it wasn't because he was in haste. He made the the trade because he loved us so much. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trade my glory, my perfection, my joy, my hope, my peace, my ownership of all the blessings in heaven and earth. I'm going to trade that. That's my inheritance. And I'm going to trade that for your sin and your decadence and your pain and your grief and your sorrow and your suffering and everything that you've done that's regrettable. I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to give you everything that I've got. But in order for that transaction to occur, in order for the inheritance to pass from him to us, somebody's got to die. That's how an inheritance passes. The testator has to die. And so Jesus said, I'm going to lay down my life. And when I lay down my life, all of this peace and forgiveness and love and all of the blessings that are due and owing me as the firstborn of creation is going to transfer to you. It's going to transfer to you. And then the, 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 the twist, the final twist, because there are so many in this story, is that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And the Bible says now we are joint heirs with him. We are joint heirs. That means we are sharing in the inheritance with, with Christ. That's why your decisions, this is why Albert Camus and Jean-Paul Sartre have it wrong. Your decisions, the sum of your decisions is not your life. It's the sum of your decisions plus one other decision made by one other person 2,000 years ago. Because his decision thwarts all of your decisions. All of those bad calls you've made in your life are rectified and redeemed and restored and ransomed by one decision that he made 2,000 years ago. So I want to encourage you with this today. Yes, we need to make good decisions. Yes, it's, we need to you know, listen to, be careful who we talk to. Yes, we want to try to build character and integrity in our lives. Yes, we want to do all that. All that morality stuff, yes, that's good. Let's, let's do that to the best that we can. But no, behind it all, underneath it all, Christ is there, and he made a decision that you can't unmake. He made a decision to transfer his love, joy, peace to you in exchange for all your crummy decisions that you've made for the last how many years in your life. That is a good decision. It's a good decision to lean on that 
and not onto yourself. It's a good decision to rest in him. It's a good decision to throw yourself at him and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. And that's the story of the gospel, folks. That's it. Bad call, good call. Let's close our eyes as we, as we wrap up here. And I want to encourage you as, as you have your eyes closed, if there's anybody in here today, and I don't do this all the time, but if there's somebody in here today or a few people who want to say, look, I have not made that decision. I've never given my heart and life to Christ. I've never accepted him as, as, my, as my redeemer and as my savior. I want to invite you to do that. Or if you, have, if you have done that, but it's been years and you've gotten way off the track and you're like the prodigal son that's out there sort of suffering and starving and, and not sure where you fit, um, would you just take a minute and uh, as everybody's got their eyes closed, would you just raise your hand and, and let, and just acknowledge that that's who you are and that's what you want to do. You want to give your life to Christ or you want to give your life back to Christ. Nobody's going to embarrass you. You're not going to have to come up in front and nobody's going to do anything like that, but just slip up your hand if that's you. If you want to, if you want to give your life back to Christ, amen. Amen. Heavenly father, Right now, we come to you. And Lord, we ask you to be with us today. We thank you for the decision that you made that redeems all of the decisions that we've made. We thank you for the bad trade that you made so that we could make a good trade. We could trade away all of our sin and our suffering and our shame for all your glory and your perfection and your love. We thank you, God, that you're not just up there waiting for us to make a mistake and take everything from us, but rather you're doing everything within your power to fill us with strength and hope and joy today. Father, we ask for those who in their heart of hearts know that they need to come to you, God. We just we thank you, Lord, that you're filling them today with your strength to make that decision, to make that call, to step into who you uh, want them to be and to become the men and women that you've called them to be, God, to accept their inheritance, Lord, and to not sell it away and not give it away. Father, we praise you for all of this. We lift you up. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, guys.